Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. So in the previous conversation, uh, you and I have had a, a couple uh, vacations here and there. So our, in a previous conversation a couple weeks back, I think our, our last uh, recording, we had talked about what the, the trajectory of, of American, particularly Western, but American Christendom uh, is and, and this idea of you just kind of have to let it, let it die. Um, I think for me, my, my quest in the start of that, that those conversations was around what do I do now and, and what am I doing with my family and, um, a big kind of a, a summary of the conversation that I walked away from was, uh, continue doing as you're doing, love your family well, raise them to love the Lord to the best of your ability. Um, and, that's kind of where it ends. And, and, and I guess maybe the, the tag is and watch what the Lord does. Um, cause he's, he's definitely at work. I think we don't quite know how right now. And of course we don't know his ways, but he's definitely at work to so watch for him to move. Um, but to love your family well. And I guess I'm, I'm curious coming out of that one. I think that has been a shift in mindset for me a little bit. The, the former, the younger, we got to go change the world, you know, bring them back, uh, get back to where we were. Some of those ideas too. Nope. Um, we, we do need to just let this thing die out a little, a little bit here. So what does it look like for community then when it comes to building community? Um, particularly the fact that I think, as we've mentioned, few are probably going to understand this and few are going to resonate with it. Um, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm curious how do I help establish community myself for my family? Um, and, and I, I ask that with the kind of context of we we're a part of a church. It's a larger church. It's not a traditional church. Um, so there are a lot of areas where I think, um, we're, we're slowly journeying towards some of the stuff you and I have talked about. Um, but I'm, I'm just curious what, what's your overall, you know, what's your recommendation on just mm-hmm. building community as we recognize this current age? Okay. Good, good, good. You always ask such difficult questions so early in the morning, <laughs> but, uh, that's okay. It's uh, not yet 110 degrees. So this is a good time to That's right. take on a hot topic. <laughs> so first of all, um, uh, just a few reminders of an earlier podcast. We are at the end of a 500-year age disaster called the Enlightenment. So in other words, uh, building community is a strategy, is a tactic, Pat. Mm. But um, the sons of Issachar are honored in the Old Testament because it said they understood the times. So they knew what to do. 
So building community is a knowing what to do, but it doesn't answer the question, what kind of community? Why yeah. would you build a community? Mm -hmm. And the problem after um, the last several hundred years is uh, words are like money. Um, you can use up all the currency, so they, they don't mean anything anymore. And I think we've just spent our wad on community. Um, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything anymore. So everybody can self define it, which is a lot like everybody can self define marriage now. And well, it just takes there's just guts, the uh, the power of marriage, and so we we pretty much gutted community, in my opinion. Um, and if you don't like it, just turn off this podcast. But uh, uh, <laughs> so because when we say building community, it, those are loaded words, and. It, the frame is what we're going to talk about that we'll get back to the kind of community that uh, Alistair McIntyre wrote about. If you want to read a good book on this called After Virtue, and his whole point was part of the Enlightenment, erased the notion there's such a thing as virtue and replaced it with the word values. Mm -hmm. Ever heard of that? Yeah. And virtues have uh, more of a sense of uh, uh, the plumb line is God. Uh, values, the plumb line is you. And so you have your values, and I have my values, and your values stop at the tip of my nose. Uh, but if you your values tweak my nose, uh, I will, I'm offended. And uh, you're judging me and you're being judgmental and so on and so forth. So you can see how the whole thing goes to hell in a handbasket. And I really do think that's an apt phrase on this. So 500 years. Understanding the times. The simplest way to do it is to understand that when Copernicus put out this little paper on the uh, revolution, the orbits and revolutions of the planet, the system, he was saying... Ptolemy's frame is entirely wrong. Not kind of, sort of, maybe, don't want to be judgmental here, don't want to be wrong. I'm reminded John Adams. He said facts are stubborn things. And the fact is, the Ptolemaic model, every single word was a good word. Sun, moon, stars, orbits, planets. Every single good word was in the wrong frame. So every single word was worth less. In the Ptolemaic frame, we could have never put a man on the moon. It simply didn't reflect reality. But every single word does. So what I'm building to here, Pat, is uh, I do have a point here. It's this. <laughs> I was hoping there was a point at the end of this. <laughs> yeah, the point is uh, the majority of people, I lost them in that last couple of phrases, especially if they are passionately religious, hmm. because uh, part of the great work of uh, Feinberg many years ago uh, talks about people who are extraordinarily passionate and religious religious will think that not only the words are right, God, discipleship, transformation, gospel, Jesus, the cross, but the frame is right. And you can't tell me that we've had the wrong frame for 500 years. I won't buy it. Hmm. 
because that's how I met God. That's how my life's been changed. That's why I love God. This makes no sense to me at all. I understand. This is why in the Copernican revolution, the only people who began to let it die were what are called innovators and early adopters. We're no more than 5% of a given population. In the Babylonian exile, after 500 years of idolatry, where God repeatedly, through the prophets Jeremiah and Hosea and, um, uh, and Isaiah and others, said, um, return to me. You've been idolatrous. And they said, we will not return to you. We have not been idolatrous. Look at our temple. We can't be. Look at, we have a mega church. This can't be wrong, God. And he says, it is. You're idolatrous. And they just went, na, 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 na. So what happened? He sent them to exile. The temple was destroyed. The land was plundered. And you only have 5% of the population recognizes this. They're called the sons of Judah. They get it. They go, we have been idolatrous. You're absolutely right. We are in exile. Everyone else believed uh, several of the false prophets who said, we'll be back in Jerusalem in two years. Everyone relax. We're just going through a rough spot. We get the right president in office. We get the right laws passed. We get the right people on the Supreme Court. Um, this is going to work out. We're going to make Judah great again. Now, I might have just offended a lot of my Republican friends, but say <laughs> la vie, just turn off the podcast if you don't like it. Now, this is what I'm building up to. If you're going to build community, Pat, I'll just take you as an example, or a couple of podcast listeners, the last one, <laughs> you just don't build any community. You have to build a Sons of Judah community. Sons and daughters of Judah who recognize reality. That's your first first thing you got to get clear on. Yeah. Well, even that, I mean, so if, if, if we're, if we are following that, that's probably roughly 5%. I think that's what you're saying. Is that what you're mm -hmm. saying? Yeah. So 5%. And we'll just, at the max, yeah. So scattered, likely yep. throughout yep. at the least new diaspora. The yeah. Mm -hmm. Then, I, I guess my question is, well, how, I mean, <laughs> how do you how do you even do that? Is that just all a virtual community? Then do you like how do you discover where others are? Yeah, but it, it could very well be. By the way, it could be a virtual community but here's the other thing here's one of the ways i've found <clears throat> you know the old adage is um, if you say you're looking to buy a toyota camry and next thing you know you drive around you keep there's there's nothing there's nothing you start seeing what you never saw i have found that when i began talking about this writing about this um, casual conversations you just begin to you know some ears perk up most people really don't capitalize on most of their conversations. So there's things you could say like, I really think we're in exile. We're outsiders. Uh, my little pithy phrase, I could give the opening prayer in the Senate, but was politely asked to leave when legislators got down to business. 
maybe 5% of people who go, ah, I felt that way. You just follow up. The average person would go, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't make them feel bad, but the fact is, if you think of this big bell curve, that what happens over the course of 70 years in exile, or 150 years in the case of Copernicus and the revolution, is you have innovators and early adopters, and they're about three years to be immersed in a community where their understanding of the times gels into, oh, now I know what to do. Now I know. It doesn't happen overnight. They go through the paradigm shift, but it takes about three years. After the early adopters are the late adopters, 15, 20%. After they, like 10 years, you have what's called the laggards. They lag behind. So once they see all their friends have iPhones, they, they get one. That kind of a deal. And then you have a, an entire society do a shift. And that shift, for example, is everybody has a mobile phone now. In fact, you're considered a Neanderthal if you don't have one. But that didn't happen overnight. It happened with uh, early adopters and um, a lot of it's word of mouth, but there are ways, Pat, that you can uh, just in where you live. So you might not be thinking about your church. You might be thinking about people you know, but you toss out what I call five pound test lines because these are big fish, but if you snag them, you don't say, well, let's build a community. That'll snap the line right there because if you really are an exile, you're going to recognize what? I'm not. I'm not sure. I have no idea how they imagine community. Mm. It could be once a month, a lovely dinner, mm-hmm. talking about everything under the sun, right. and everybody agreeing politics is off the table. Okay, that is a form. But it's not what Alistair McIntyre talks about in his book or what Rabbi Sachs said many years ago. He said the future of America, America's renewal, depends on a creative minority. And he cited the sons of Judah in Babylon. And then he said, here are some of the characteristics. And the chief characteristic, which comes straight out of Judaism and straight out of the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah, is the verb return return in our case to traditions that predate the enlightenment and the last 500 years why do i say that it's not original by the way but why Specifically, why return to those traditions? Yes. Why did God tell the uh, nation of Judah in exile, return? We return to what? Being idolaters? Return mm-hmm. to the land and, and, your, and these habits you have after 500 years? What do you mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm just taking a guess. There's... So the, the, the return to pre-enlightenment traditions definitely is to exhibit behaviors that embody 
uh, more than our current, you know, intellectual brain on a stick approach. Um, so I guess that's the re- reorienting of our bodies. Um, is that is that what you're that's it towards? Yeah, that's it. The number, the central flaw, the central idolatry of the last five hundred years, and why so many say it's dead, it's over. Let it die. Not a little bit. Let it die. Quicker, the quicker the better. Why? Because it took the fundamental view of human nature that we are strangers to ourselves. That, as Jeremiah said, our hearts are are uh, bent, and uh, who can understand them? In fact, God says, "Only I can. I know the secrets of your heart," and He delights in using secondary causes like prophets to enlighten us and now neuroscience is caught up beginning with freud believe it or not who began to suspect in the late 1800s there's a lot of the non-conscious mind that we know nothing about the reasons which drive our behavior as blaise pascal said the heart has reasons that reason knows not well by the time you hit the 20th century the beginning of neuroimaging is making this abundantly clear we are no more in touch with our thoughts than maybe 5% at the best. And that's a high estimate. So what about all this 95% that we don't know? See, the Enlightenment said, Pat, you're 100% conscious of all your motives, thoughts, behaviors. Nobody needs to tell you what to do. You don't need a prophet, priest, anyone. with. You don't need bells, whistles, creeds, codes, smells, bells. You don't need any of that. Strip it all down. All you need is a Bible, Holy Spirit, go to church, listen to a sermon. And you have direct access to God. Through the, of course, we always say, through the Holy Spirit, praying in the name of Jesus, I get it. But that is such a profound shift. As Ian McGilchrist says, the last 500 years of Western Christianity is undermining itself because it has taken the cardinal tenet, the word became flesh, and re- reversed it to the flesh became word. And that view that all we need are words, just you know, five more books and we'll be radically transformed, five more podcasts, Words, 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 words. To paraphrase Churchill, never has so much been written by so few that has achieved such little effect. But we're convinced it's changing the world. It's not. So even when we use words like, well, a friend emailed me the other day and said, so what can we do to renew or transform or reform Western Christianity. And that's what I do. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> they don't get it. That's like it's that's not the like, answer we're looking for, Mike. <laughs> I know, and that's why we only have three listeners, probably two after today. Um, Pat, if we're all at the University of Ptolemy and we read Copernicus's article, we say, Well, let's let's integrate 
his view that the sun is the sun is at the center of the universe and let's integrate it with our view that the earth is at the center of the universe and transform our view right you can't do that you literally can't do that but i do appreciate that that most of my friends do not understand the last 500 years that way and so they're always talking about reintegrating this in transforming renewing reforming um and the fact is uh, that's why we have every 10 years we could bear this out on another podcast but on average about every 10 years the protestant evangelical tradition comes up with one more strategy that will finally turn the corner and revive and i always remember in 1990 a man who's my age george barna who has done some really good work on uh, you know cultural trends i mean so much so disney has hired him i mean this this is a man who's taken seriously and he had a book i believe it was in 1990 it was called revolution of course with an exclamation point or you don't get published and uh, his whole point was we're on the cusp of a revolution that will transform evangelicals in which he was already bearing on studies the private behaviors are troubling at best pathetic at worst and um now you can go on youtube and barna is saying evangelicalism is in a free fall it didn't work the supposed revolution never came I was with a lovely student organization. We were going to reach the world by 1980. They never came. Well, all we do is re, you know, move the goalposts. Well, there are those who finally go, wait, wait, wait. Stop the madness. What's wrong? And what's fundamentally wrong is we don't understand the times. Like something, something that is a common thread here that I'm sensing uh, from our conversation last time as well is is not to say you know your advice isn't necessarily to do nothing. It's more of uh, it seems to be more of con- continue as you are. Um, and I I guess what I mean by that is. Uh, my natural inclination as you and I have discussed several times is I want to go do something about this. I want to go jump in. I want to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, aggressively make a change. And, um, that's just like my instinct is to run in. And yes. it seems your, uh, your wisdom here is to, to continue to stay as you are. Um, and, and I sensed that last time with love the Lord, love your family, raise them. And again, I, I use this phrasing, but like watch for the Lord, await for that knowledge of what to do next. Um, and it seems, I think you're, you're driving towards something similar here, which is you can't really just go out and forcefully build community. You gotta, you got to wait for the Lord to move. And there are some things maybe personally or with your family that you can begin to move in a direction. Um, but 
it's not going to be something where you just go out and forcefully will this into existence. Um, so, yeah. Stay yeah, as let you me, are. Let me and, turn and the dial slightly. Yeah. Okay. Because you, you can willfully uh, bring something into existence that you self-define as community. Right. That'd right. be very easy to do. And we're actually pretty good at that because, again, the Enlightenment, Voltaire, the great intoner of the Enlightenment, said, you know, so dare to think. Throw off all the authorities. Define it for yourself. Yeah. He, he called it get away from our self-imposed immaturity of yielding to traditions. Self-imposed immaturity. Isn't that something? And so I hear sacramental traditions derided as, oh, it's just rote, or just praying to statues, or, uh, well, first of all, what a, talk about bearing false witness, breaking the ninth commandment. Mm. That we're just, we're, we're oblivious to it. Part of idolatry is it blinds you that we routinely break the ninth commandment and think nothing of it. But no, I don't do that. Of course, we have no idea what they actually believe. So, you know, we, we are blind to bearing false witness. Just that, and, this, and the reason I feel that um, I'm, not, I'm not right now uh, self-defining myself the last 500 years, um, I think what you can do if you actually have a splinter in your mind Yes, I, we keep going back to the film because it gets a lot right. And remember, it's a film about Descartes and the Enlightenment and how we're blinded. We're blinded inside a machine. And only a few have a splinter in the mind. They can't put their words on it, but something is not right. So what you can do is if you can't see what it is, you can stand on the shoulders of giants. And Pat, that's all I've, you know, in a sense, not all, but most of what I've done the last 20, 30 years is to stand on the shoulders of giants. And what does that mean? It means actually read thoughtful Christians that I, I've come to recognize 90, almost 99% of the Christians I know will never read these books. They, oh, I can't read, it's too hard. It's got really big words. It doesn't have any pictures in it. Um, now we're having some fun. It's satire, but maybe I just offended half my friends. But <laughs> the fact of the matter is, they won't read uh, A Secular Age by Charles Taylor. They won't. You have, Pat. Uh, they, even if they watch 18 minutes uh, Ian McGilchrist's TED Talk and the RSA Animate, they'll come away and go, man, that was a lot. Well, guess what pre-Enlightenment traditions always recommended? Because scriptures that way, it's called Lectio Divina. Repeat it over and over. Watch it over and over and meditate on it. Repeat the Lord's Prayer over and over and over. Oh, that's rote. No, it isn't. Now the neuroimaging tells us it starts to deepen neural, neural pathways. Oops, it's not rote. It's how you actually move from parrot I can't parrot people. That's terrible. I want to be myself. To pert, 
learned to ask penetrating questions about the passage in front of you, to poet. And as Paul wrote, we are God's poetry. See, all that's been lost, Pat. All that's been lost because everyone wants to do what is right in their own eyes because we're entirely self-conscious that here's what the Bible says, here's what this verse says, my church teaches that, and therefore how I define community is right. It's biblical. It just, you can't, you can't do anything about that. And, and I know it sounds terrible when someone goes, says, wait a minute, God can do anything. Well, he can't lie. And second, Jesus came upon some places where the disbelief was so great, the, the blindness was so great, it says he could not do any miracles there. Wait a minute. This is the omnipotent God? Yep. But he couldn't? That's right. It's a paradox. And the paradox is you can be so blind to reality that God can't do anything. He instead says, let it die. We instead, these every 10 years of spasms of revival, are, uh, the last 150 years has been the corpse codes and we slap the paddles on it. I had a friend roughly my age, <clears throat> he just, uh, he had a heart attack. He coded twice. I wasn't clear what that meant, but you know what coded means? Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't see him. So, yeah. and they, uh, what's it called when they slap the paddles on him? Shock him, I guess. Yeah. Um, what do they call that? Yeah. Defibrillator, well, something like that. I think <laughs> it could be it. It could be it. Yeah. Anyway, so they did it twice and brought him back. So now they just have to assess the damage to the heart mm -hmm. and what his life looks like going forward. My assessment in the last 150 years, we, uh, the corpse, I mean the body, keeps coding and we keep shocking it back to life. Why? Nobody likes death. We're not made for death. I get it. And the vast majority of Judeans in Babylon, they just couldn't, Pat, they just couldn't, they just couldn't come to terms with this has got to die. That's why we're here. And guess what, Pat? God said, yes, then this is where you're going to die. You're not going back. You're going to be here 70 years. And the 95 plus percent of the population said, no, we will go back. In 95% of the first generations, when Copernican view, Copernicus view started to get out, 95%, you and me on the University of Ptolemy, where my entire retirement is wrapped up in University of Ptolemy, and the whole earth is in the center of the universe, I just simply cannot recognize that. How, Pat, would I put food on the table? How will we live? If Copernicus is right, I'm out of work. I can't face that. 
the early adopters, the younger people, that small group could, but they have no university, they have no literature, they have no massive publishing houses, uh, they're not in the movie business. So it's easy to look at them and go, the vast majority, and go, I don't understand what you guys are saying. I think you're wrong. Look at the size of our church. We can't be right. You're only three people in town. We have 1,500. You're telling me you're right? Now, again, what we're saying is everyone gets part of the story right. Your church gets part of the story right. But it doesn't get the fundamental cardinal tenet right. So it cannot embody what historically was understood as God, salvation, discipleship, transformation, community. You want me to keep going? You want me to stop? <laughs> That's why Dallas Willard in 1995 disemboweled me when three of us want to know what can be done. He goes, it's a lost cause. I think Dallas, you know, his last book's not as well known, but he was looking at neuroimaging as a way forward because he, rec he, he recognized toward the end of his life, dying of cancer, that all they'd have written, like on the great omission. He said, we don't, we, we don't even understand it. We talk about it, but we don't. I think he recognized in his life, he just, he really felt, he'd ask his good friend Jim Wilder, is, is transformation even possible given the world we're in? And he recognized transformation requires a proper view of formation in the first place. Mm. So prior to the Enlightenment, sacramental traditions of which there are basically two bodies, East and West, said the most fundamental transformation is a renewal of the marriage covenant in the Eucharist when Christ our husband, who is body and blood, enters his bride. Now, here's the upside with the internet. I believe that uh, it's easier now for Copernicans, the sons of Judah, to begin to find one another. Hmm. There are ways that can be done. But if you want to actually build community, so we're back to build community. Uh, Pat, I think the stubborn truth stubborn fact is uh, the community you're looking for is the same that Morpheus brought Neo into. It ain't pretty. It doesn't hold <laughs> all the cards like everyone go, oh yeah, yeah, of course. And there's the temptation of all of us to be cipher and to finally go, I'm so tired of this crap. Just put me back in the matrix. I just want 
eat like this. I want fine food, fine dining, fine women. And I think he only asked for a million dollars. <laughs> and Smith happily accommodates him. Give us this day our daily bread, which was understood as a double meaning in ancient churches. Not only the Eucharist, the daily mass, but the daily bread we got we got to eat to live. And that, in my opinion, includes Ritz bits. And, uh, and forgive us our trespasses, but only to the degree that we forgive those who trespass against us. Going back to Matthew 18, that when we don't forgive others who trespass against us, we lock ourselves in a tormentor's hell and keep us from the evil one. Or as Dr. Willard taught us in that course many years ago, we are so frail every one of us and there were many many years after i left the pastorate after me and dallas willard there i'd watch the garbage truck drive down the road and say lord i just want to i just want to be a garbage collector and i'm not joking i'm saying I just, i'm so tired of this just uh of course i realize the insanity of that when i hot summer day a truck passes by <laughs> But that's, it's a, it is insane. But you just go, Lord, I, I'm tired of being tormented. Just put me back in the matrix. And I had offers from him. We're at a large church in the city not too far from here. And every fallen fleshly desire wanted to take it because it was a paycheck, it was popularity. It was preaching, and as it was the matrix. So I, I understand Cypher. But if you're going to actually build community, you have to recognize you're an early adopter, Pat. And uh, there are ways, and if you listen to this podcast, I can help you. Because as Neo closes in the end, you're out there and I'm coming for you. You're out there. But right now, we are still more, more or less the diaspora. But we follow people who are a whole lot smarter than us, like Paul King's North, like Ian McGilchrist like a whole passel of people who are way ahead of us on this stuff. And that's a sort of an online community that the more and more you pass it on to friends and they go, ah, I like that. I think then Pat, you can skillfully with discernment say, let's get together. Maybe, maybe there's something worth exploring here. And I'm pretty sure over time, the community will develop. But I pray to God it would be an early adopter, sons of Judah, Copernican community. <laughs>